0: Well, graders is good, but I just like the ambiance of the cone. Any cone lovers in here? There we go. Hey, welcome to Four Corners. My name is Ben. I'm so glad you're here for continuing our message series, Better Together. And today I want to talk to you about a principle um, that I think gets overlooked a little bit. All right? Now, to do that, let me, let me talk to the parents in the room for just a second. Parents, when you, uh, if you have elementary age or preschool age children, when you checked in your kids today, you may not even noticed it. But all through our preschool wing over here and some of our elementary stuff in the back, back this way, we have a sign. And here's what the sign reads. It says, uh, God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my forever friend. God made me, God loves me, Jesus wants to be my forever friend. And our hope is, is that when you drop off your kids, over time... We get to teach them those lessons. Now, no matter whether they're just starting life, you know, 18 months, three years, four, and just beginning to understand words and talking, we're leaning them over time, the whole time we have them, towards those three big ideas. God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to have a relationship with me that lasts forever. And here's what we know. If over time you'll drop your kids off, we'll have time over time to talk to them and help them understand some very complex, huge, life-altering ideas that God made them, and that has all kinds of implications. They belong to Him. He loves them. They're valued. They're made in His image. That God loves them. That, That He sent His one and only Son to die for them. And not just give his life, but to be resurrected as well as as proof that God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus to cover our sin and allow us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that Jesus wants to have a relationship with them. And we can't teach that to them all in one week. No, it takes time. It takes time. Now, you're here in this room today in part because somebody has invested in you. Some of you are here today and you're just now beginning to explore for this season of your life, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you'd say it this way, spiritual things. But you're here today because somebody invited you or you heard something this week, you drove by a sign. Some way, in some shape or form, somebody invested in you and you're beginning to respond to it. Others of you are here and you have a relationship with Jesus for a long time. And you're here today, and if you were honest, you would say, the truth is is that my relationship with Jesus is where it is in large part because over time, people have invested in me. They taught me God's Word. There were some significant experiences. I had environments that I engaged. And that investment in me has produced something. Now, I've been using a phrase a handful of times since I've already began, and it's the phrase, over time over time. When the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament as the Holy Spirit moved on him to do so, he didn't realize he was writing a New Testament. He was just writing letters, but they were anointed by God. They were recognized as such, and they were gathered together into one book we call our New Testament, even though there are some 27 different pieces of literature by several authors over a couple dozen years, When he was writing a letter to the church at Thessalonica, we call it First Thessalonians. That's how we title it in our Bible. He was reflecting on the fact that he had invested much of himself into a group of Christians there at Thessalonica. And over time, he had seen some dramatic changes in them. So this entire message series called Better Together where we're talking about the implications of two generally healthy churches, not perfect either one, but pretty good both of them, coming together to be better than any one of them could be alone, we've been looking at this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 focusing on a set of key phrases and I'd like to take your attention there yet one more time. So 1 Thessalonians 2 and your Bible are on the screen. If you don't have it, here's what the Bible says. Paul writing and he says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We're going to pause right there for just a second. I love it. Paul said, there was a time several months ago when I was in your city and I met with you and we talked and we did God's word together and we prayed together. We built some relationships together and God used all of that investment and we saw results. I'm a bit of, a, of an action-oriented guy. I have a bit of a bias towards action. I like to go, go, go. I'm the kind of guy, when I walk into a grocery store, the moment I walk in, I start thinking about how can I get out of here as quick as I can? So I start looking at which cash register attendant is likely to be the fastest one. Now, my ratio on picking the fastest one is pretty low. <laughs> I, I just have this thing, it's like I always get in the slowest line. I don't know what it is. So I've learned something. I can get in, and I start getting my stuff into my basket or my little carry, on, you know, carry thing, and I'm And I've learned I can get to the checkout line because I can almost always best the time, uh, you know, the self-checkout. I can always best the time of the person who's attending. I just like to get things done. That's why I am in life. If something's going on in my family, I like to be able to kind of evaluate it quickly, make a few, you know, observations, speak a few words, and boom, change things in a moment. And my odds on doing that in my family are no better than my odds of picking the fastest line at the checkout at the grocery store. No, but that's what I like to do. I like to see things happen quickly. I like to see results. And by the way, that's not all bad. In fact, that can be very good. And today, I want to talk with you about spiritual results. Spiritual results. It's okay to want results in your life. The Apostle Paul made an investment in Thessalonica and those people there because he wanted something to happen. He wanted some fruit from that work he was doing. He wanted to see those people grow into a relationship with Jesus and to mature in that relationship with Jesus and produce fruit in keeping with the relationship that they have with Jesus as the Lord of their lives. And so when he writes them this letter, his first one, that's why we call it 1 Thessalonians, he says, I am thrilled that our visit to you produce some results. And he continues to write, and I'm just pulling a few select verses out of 1 Thessalonians chapter two. And around verse three or so, uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse uh, seven or so, he says this. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. He says, here's the investment we made. We told you some truth, and we did life together. We talked about the truth from God's word that describes the way the world really is, the way you really are, the way God really is, and what God wants from us. And then we did life together, and there was a certain amount of messiness in that. So it required all kinds of grace and interaction, how we dealt with each other, and taking you as you are, and believing that God can do something in your life. But we did the gospel of truth, and we did lives of grace together. We did both of those things. And then he continues to write about verse 13, and he says, and we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So Paul says, I made this investment, and here's the cool thing, you received it, you got it, you took it in, and so the investment produced those results. Over time, they saw some dramatic change. And what we're going to do now is I want to take you to a parable of Jesus where Jesus deals with the same idea, but in a story form. In Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bible, you can go there. When we get to it, it'll be on the screens if you didn't bring one. But in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is going to deal with the same kind of dynamic that over time and investment can make a big, big difference. Before we read this parable and kind of get ourselves wrapped into what Jesus was talking about and take his words seriously, let me just talk to you, those of you that already understand the principle and other forms of life. Some of you are pretty good with money. I don't just mean your capacity to earn, but what you have, you manage it well, and you understand the power of over time, The power of compounded interest, where little bits of money deposited over time with interest added can grow into something Dramatic you set aside 20 bucks a week from the time you're 20 years old to the time you retire because of the normal rates of return and compounded interest that money over time though it's a little bit here and there over time you'll have well over a million and a half dollars which is a huge amount of money in little increments but over time Some of you are here and you've grown in your faith fairly deep. It would be fair to say that you are a mature believer. You're not perfect, but you're a mature believer because over time people invested in you and you received the investment and you invested in yourself and God took all of that and over time it began to form into you the image of his son more perfectly and you have grown up in the faith largely because of overtime. Some of you know what it is as a parent. And you took this imperfect baby that you loved deeply and you watched them not only grow physically, which kind of happened just because you fed them and made sure they didn't you know, get hurt too seriously. It kind of it happened over time. But beyond that, you began to invest in them and you saw them grow up emotionally, maybe spiritually as well. Because over time, there were regular deposits into that child's life. And now over time, you've begun to see the fruit of that. Those are on the positive side. On the negative side, some of us have personal habits. That when we started them, they sounded like fun. We did them maybe out of a sense of rebellion and excitement. And and one or two events in and of themselves were not that big of a deal. But now a lifetime, 10, 15, 20 years later, what started off as fun and excitement maybe became an addiction. And now the effects of that over time, we see, is taking us in a place we would have never chose had we known it on the front end. The power of over time. And today's message is for parents who wonder if over time they're going to see the kind of results that every parent hope, hopes for. It's for people who are in a marriage and they're wondering if, if this season of their marriage is the end, Because they're looking at where they are and they're looking at the future from this vantage point and it doesn't seem any better the next few cycles around. And they're wondering about where they are and where they want to be. This message is for Christians who have been walking with Jesus some period of time and they're looking at the next several months, this next upcoming season of their life and they're wondering... If it's worth it, it's for the high school guy or girl Christian who's wondering if remaining faithful to what Jesus has called them to is worth it in light of what their friends are doing. They're basically asking the same question, dealing with the same issue that Paul was dealing with. Will my investment produce results? For Paul it did. You're wondering if it will for you. Is it going to be worth it? Not a bad question. How do you know if the investment you're making today in whatever it is that's important to you is actually going to produce the thing you hope it produces? In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is talking with the crowd, and the crowd has been talking to each other before Jesus got there, and here's what they've been discussing. A few miles away and a few days earlier, a building collapsed unexpectedly, killing a lot of people and it was all over Facebook and morning news there in the Holy Land, Jesus' day, and people were talking about it, and they were surprised by the suddenness of it and the tragedy of it, and it caught everybody off guard, and somebody knew somebody that was there, and they're talking about this building that collapsed. Not only that, the other thing that was happening is, as often happened in that area that was ruled by Rome, and they didn't really want to be ruled by Rome. They felt like they were, you know, supposed to be ruled by themselves, and so there was a little bit of a rebellion. That was kind of normal. But then this guy named Pilate squashed it, like overreacted and came in and with some soldiers killed a bunch of people. And he was kind of solidified, Pilate was kind of solidifying his place as a ruler. But the people were talking about what an overreaction it was. And suddenly, suddenly what happened was is they went from just kind of doing their normal thing to some of their friends dying and people were talking about it. And so what was on their minds in Luke chapter 13, as Jesus is going to share the parable we're going to read, was the suddenness that can happen in life. And they began to ask some very deep questions when they're thinking about life ending. Things about like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, and what do we think about life? And where are we really going? And, and what, wh- wh- how do we make the most of this life? And so they're leaning in with Jesus who seemed to have some insight into life. And so he starts talking to them. In Luke chapter 13, verse six through nine, he shares with them a parable that's not very long, but it's incredibly profound. And it speaks to every parent, every pastor, every follower of Jesus, every person in a marriage, every young guy growing up that's dating, every girl wondering about whether, it speaks to all of us at almost every season of life. Here's what the parable says: Jesus speaking, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. We need to pause. A vineyard is for grapes and vines, but in the ancient Near East, it wasn't unusual to plant a fig tree there. There was something about the symbiotic relationship between a fig tree and vines that was mutually benefiting to both. The fig tree would often provide some shade for the workers in the middle of the vineyard.) Um, the, the, the other benefit was is that the, uh, the, the decaying pieces of the vines, the grapes, the, the leaves would fertilize the fig tree, and so there would be mutual fruit in different season. It wasn't that unusual. in fact, even today, if you go over often, you'll see fig trees and grapevines together. So it wasn't unusual for this to happen. But beyond that, when Jesus starts talking about fig trees and grapevines, he hearkens back and his original audience would have known this he hearkens back to some stories that was a part of their corporate heritage prophets talked about fig trees and vineyards and they used fig trees and vineyards to talk about Israel their own nation so when Jesus begins the story and he talks about fig trees and vineyards he's kind of doubling down as it were talking about the people of God he's going to give a spiritual lesson they've been contemplating the shortness of life and doesn't matter and are they going to get where they want to go and oh my goodness suddenly this can happen so what are we going to do And Jesus shares with them the story. Again, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone. For one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then, over time, year later, after some effort, then cut it down. Not a long parable, but in it, I think, is contained one of the most important formulas for understanding. Not a formula where you can plug in A plus B equals C, but a formula for understanding how it is we can come to moments in our life asking the question, is it worth it? And have a reasonable certainty that it is. I think in this parable, there is some insight into the way God works in this world. That's the reason Jesus told parables. So we can have an understanding of our Father's heart and the way the world works. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, wants your life to produce fruit. The fruit he wants, more important than the fruit you want, often those are combined. Sometimes the fruit we want needs to be sanctified and made right and molded and bent towards what he wants. But he wants your life to produce fruit. He wants the investments made in you to pay off. His investment, the investments of others. It's okay to want fruitfulness. There was nothing wrong with the guy walking by the fig tree saying, you're a fig tree. You should produce fruit. It's a good thing. And you haven't. And did you notice the time frame? It's been three years. Some time has passed. And the vineyard owner who has a vested interest in the outcome of the fig tree is saying, it's taken up room. It's there. It, it looks promising, but it doesn't deliver. I've heard husbands ask this question about their marriages. We were in love it looked great, we were hopeful, nobody ever gets married hoping to have a bad marriage, to have an unloving marriage, a contentious marriage. I thought we were fine, and after a few seasons and cycles, I woke up and realized, it's been a while. This isn't fun anymore, it's not enjoyable anymore. I've sat with parents who through tearful eyes have said, it's been a long time since I've had a meaningful connection to my adult child. And I remember the investment we've made, and I'm wondering and contemplating, was it worth it? I've seen people who have served faithfully in churches come to various seasons in their life where they look around and they say, is it worth it? There was a season in my life not that long ago where I met at 7 a.m. at Panera with a handful of guys. We were doing a small group together. It began in a catalog just like the ones on your seat. And for a couple of years at 7 a.m. we would meet. And we would drink coffee and, you know, a cookie or a bagel or whatever, and we would talk God's Word. And over time, those conversations, no one moment stands out more than the other necessarily, but over time, there was a regular investment into God's Word, into each other, the gospel and our lives, grace and truth. There was an investment, and over time, we all grew. I grew, they grew. And while we were meeting at Panera, at seven, there was another group across town that had been meeting for five, six, seven years. At 6.30 a.m. At, at Bob Evans right here on Tylersville Road, a group of men would get together, people who were very busy in life. They would get together and they would open up God's word and delve deep into truth from God's word and kind of do life together and talk about the messiness of life. And so there was truth and grace come together, extended over years. And guess what happened? They grew. They grew as husbands. They grew as fathers. They grew as followers of Jesus as they did grace and truth over time. Grace and truth over time. This is that simple formula. This is what, if you attend to it, is more likely to give you the fruit you long for. This is what, if it's true in a church, we begin to see God's spirit at work in tangible ways, visible ways. When this dynamic is at work in a family, you can have messy Ugly family moments, but when grace and truth over time is at work in a family, the messy and the ugly gives way to beautiful, lovely grace and truth over time. It's what's at work in a church that is healthy and vibrant, that grows up believers in Jesus, helping them to grow deep roots so that they are growing deeper, And it helps the church to grow wider as they bring more and more people from outside the family of God into the family of God. Deeper and wider when grace and truth come together over time. This is the point of that parable. In a season when people are asking, oh my goodness, life is short. A a building could collapse. Government can come in and swoop down upon us. Jesus, we're looking to you. What do you want us to know? What I want you to know is there are seasons in life when there's not much fruitfulness. And there will be a tendency to want to cut it at the roots, to make a change, to shift gears, to throw it out. But in the parable, we're urged to look at a different dynamic. When it comes to the important things, we're urged to look at a different dynamic. I'm not talking about whether or not you should stick with baseball or go with football. We're not talking here. We're on a much deeper level. I'm not talking about whether you should stick with your favorite TV show that happens on Thursday night or switch to one on Friday. We're on a much deeper level. I'm talking about the deep things of life. This parable tunes us into some truth from God that says, grace and truth over time can make a difference. There's a tree that hasn't produced for three years. We want to cut it down. It's time to move on. But the vineyard keeper says, I have an idea. Let's let's work that soil a little bit. Let's till that up. Uh, Aerate it, as it were. Maybe it's too compacted. I I don't know. I'm not a horticulturalist. I I don't know how that stuff works. But we're going to work the soil. And then we're going to put some fertilizer on it, literally some dung, Now, here's what's interesting about both of those things. Neither one of those activities produces immediate results. Neither one produces immediate results. (laughs) It's like grace and truth. They're important. You know they're important. I have to tell you they're important. You know you need both of these things in your life. And there are seasons in your life where you like one versus the other. Let's just do the, the report card for a moment. It's the end of the year. How are your grades? Now, if you've done well, you love truth. You carry that report card into mom and dad, and you go, looky, looky. You're loving truth right now. Look how I did. You're loving truth. You know, it's how, it's how you feel when you know you did good on a job, and somebody says, it's time to give a report. And you've done well, we are loving truth. We all love truth, and we do well. But if it's the end of the year and your grades aren't so good, and the parents say, how are the grades? Now you're loving grace. (laughs) Now you're all into grace. And parents, you know this. You know both are required, don't you? I mean, even if you're not a parent, like just if you're like just a teenager, you understand at this point, you're smart enough to know both of these dynamics are important in your life. If you're an all-truth guy or girl, that'll carry you some distance in fact i think that's better than certainly being given to falsehood but if you're just like all about the truth what will happen is is you'll have some truth but your relationship the tone and tenor of your relationships will struggle because the truth is is that life is messy and everybody you're doing life with can't always do it perfectly well all the time on the other hand parents those have looked at parents What if you're all about the grace with your kids all the time, never any truth? Without me even teasing either of those extremes out, you know what it looks like when parents have been all grace, no truth, or all truth, no grace. There's an essential ingredient missing. You understand this. But what the parable is urging isn't just that. We need these important ingredients like fertilizer and good soil conditions. We have to give it some time you're here today because somebody invested in you probably over time probably over time and they weathered the seasons with you when maybe it looked like their investments had immediate payoff and other seasons when it didn't But they believed not just the raw ingredients, in this case grace and truth, but they believed that time would make a difference. And it does. It's the dad or the mom that gets up and does the right thing day in, day out when the seasons of life come and go and sometimes it's enjoyable and natural and it doesn't seem like work because it's a labor of love and other times when we're in the trough and it feels like it's a drudgery to get up and do the right thing every day. But over time, it levels out. It what, it's what allows Jill and I who are approaching 26 years of marriage together to look at each other. There has been over time ample doses of truth-telling and grace-giving. So, that over time, even when I'm not a stellar husband, and that's only a few occasional moments here and there, but even when I'm not a stellar husband, because over time there have been doses of truth telling and grace giving, over time we're able to weather that. It's when I'm not a stellar dad. What allows me to be a doofus dad in front of my kids and they still respect me isn't that I've always been perfect, it's that over time there have been ample doses of grace and truth and necessary ingredients. But over time, they've observed it. And I'm wondering today if you might have a similar kind of thing going on in your mind that was going on in the minds of those people who first heard this parable for the very first time from the lips of Jesus directly. Is, is the thing I'm looking at worth it? And how am I going to know if I'm going to get the thing I'm supposed to get out of this, if it's going to be fruitful or not? I say to you what I say to churches when I have a chance to talk to church leaders, our own and others. Grace and truth are essential. You gotta have them. Nothing would destroy a church quicker than an absence of grace. Almost immediately, overnight, a church will become ineffective when a congregation becomes graceless. When we don't treat each other with a certain amount of give and ish. Just acknowledging that we're imperfect. You may have a bad day, you may have a bad month, And if we don't treat each other with grace, understanding our fallenness and our need of a Savior, if we don't handle each other with kid gloves regularly, then the whole tone and tenor of a church shifts. And in like fashion, if we reduce truth, if we gather together without diving deep into the truth of God's Word regularly, it may not be as quickly as an absence of grace, but there will be a a death that begins to becoming apparent among a church that isn't dealing with truth in a direct fashion from God's word regularly. He may take a, a season or two, but the death is coming. Both are required. And healthy churches over time do grace and truth because over time, big differences can be made. In any given moment, however, Your deposit of grace or your deposit of truth may not produce for you the desired return you're hoping for in that moment. A few months ago, before the two churches came together, we had a conversation at Four Corners where we talked honestly about kind of where we were. And one of the the conversations we had was about money. Now, I'm gonna share with you some of that discussion. You don't need to put on your seatbelt. I'm not making an ask. This isn't a money talk. But I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang with me. And so I threw up a chart that looks like this one. Guys, if you don't mind, throw it up. And so we talked honestly about the average giving per household at Four Corners. And so here's the, the point for our illustration today. If you're age 20 to 29, on average, a person in that group who was attending Four Corners was giving about 8 bucks. It's up about 15% from the time we did this a few months ago. Now here's what's cool, though. 8 bucks a week doesn't sound like a lot, but it was $416 a year. Over time, it adds up. Or if you're in your 30 to 39, it was about $24 a week. That, that number's up, you know, about three, four bucks right now. And, but at the time, it's $1,248 over a year. And of course, the people who, you know, really carry the lion's share around here financially were kind of the 40 plus, and they were, they were given about $49 a week on average, hitting 25. Here's the point, is those little deposits over time, investments in the ministry of this place, over time were making a difference. And we were kind of having an honest conversation, so I, I showed him the next screen, and we said, hey, let's just do a quick reality check. In Westchester, the median income is eighty four thousand a year. Liberty, one hundred and one. Mason, eighty three. Fairfield, fifty four. Let's start with fifty four, the cheaper one, and let's just be honest about where we were. So, if you're a twenty something, people were on average giving less than one percent of their income back to God to support the work of Jesus, at least through this local church. Who knows what they were doing elsewhere or 30s was about 2.1, or in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, about 4.2%. And we were just being kind of honest with where we were. And then, and, then, and then we talked about the fact that, look, we could get stuck there, or we could create an atmosphere of grace where we say, what's your next step to take with this? So if this is not something you're happy with, where do you want to go? And I recall the story that was told to me, the kind of experience that I had that left an indelible mark on my soul where I was serving under a a great leader. And he asked me after a Sunday uh, service and we had gone to lunch and he and I had a conversation a bit later. He said to me, where did you go to lunch today? And I thought we were just talking about lunch. I told him where I went. He said, oh, that's great. And then he, because we have a relationship, this was both odd and not odd, what I'm gonna say next. He said, and so how much did you spend on your lunch? Well, that's an odd question, but... Yeah, you, I like you. I told him. He said, oh, wow. Yeah, it's got to be money. And then, and then he said, now here's what gets really odd. He said, and so how much did you give a church yesterday? And, so, and then he draws a conclusion. He said, so you, you gave more to your lunch on Sunday than to the Lord's work in your life. So what do you think about that Ben? Well, I knew we weren't talking about lunch anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm not always the smartest guy, but I knew we were in like, a different field right now. And he said, don't, don't, he said, don't get your guard up. He I'm not after money. That's not what I want to talk to you about your heart. I want to explain to you something that happens, man. Over time, you can make a dramatic difference no matter what income level you have in investing in the kingdom. And he says, you're, you're studying, you're in seminary, you're studying to be a pastor. Yeah, he's, all right, so let's talk about your reading and your engagement of God's word. I said, well, I'm studying. I said, no, 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 You for you, not you for your study. Maybe the overlap, man, but you for you. The same dynamic. Over time, Ben, an investment in yourself, in the word of God, will have a dramatic payoff in your life. Dramatic payoff in your life. Let's talk about the relationships that you're in. Who's leaning in with you? And who are you investing in? Because over time, Ben, that will have a dramatic impact on your life. And what I thought started off as a conversation about lunch and maybe turned into a spanking about giving became a doorway to me seeing how my heart gets altered and how fruitfulness is produced in a person's life. That over time, ingredients like grace and truth have a dramatic impact. No one offering, no one reading of a Bible story, although I had some cool moments here and there. But over time... No one conversation with my kids, but over time. No one date night with my wife, but over time. No one serving on a Sunday morning, but over time. That's why every week you walk by a sign that says, when you check your kids into preschool and elementary God made me. God loves me. Jesus wants to be my forever friend because we're letting you know that over time we're going to partner with you to invest in these kids because we believe that grace and truth invested over time will produce fruit and we're willing to wait for that. When the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica before he writes the letter and he's just investing in a group of people, he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. We have the advantage of hindsight where he writes the letter months later and he says, our visit with you was not without results. We saw fruitfulness. Because grace and truth over time does that. Now can I be honest with you? Some of you are in a season of life where you might need to kick it up a notch with truth for a while. What, What you need, not what you feel you need, but what you need really is a close friend or two that can speak the truth of God into your life. Or, or you open up to God's word for yourself and you say, God, today I'm going to read your word. And I haven't been doing it diligently, but today I begin a process where over time you and I are going to have some time together. And I'm going to tell you the first times you, two or three times you do it, it may not be earth shattering. And you'll make the mistake of thinking that because it's not earth shattering the first two or three cycles, it's not worth it but the benefit doesn't come the first two or three times. I mean, maybe you get lucky. The benefit comes over time. Now, some of you are in a cycle where you need some true friends who both can speak truth, but do it in a loving way. Speak the truth in love, truth and grace. And you need to soak in some relationships because you're out there. And you look back over your life and maybe it was circumstances, maybe it was hurt, but it isolated you. And you need to be more in, a, in, in relationships where there's grace dripping from words. Not just sarcasm and humor, but grace. And I'm telling you, over time, grace and truth will make a difference. It's why we as a church spend lots of time in this room in God's Word because truth from God's word, seasoned with grace, will make a difference over time. It's why I want you, I don't need you to, it's not an ego thing, this is not about numbers, but I want you to be here week in, week out. Because over time it makes a difference. One of the guys I enjoy reading who had faith, he was also a business guy and an entrepreneur, a guy by the name of Jim Rohn. You're welcome to Google his name and find out about him. But he tells a little illustration about apples. He says, effectively, which do you think is more helpful? An apple a day to stay healthy or seven apples once a week? This is kind of what we do with our spiritual stuff sometimes. And we miss the principle of this parable that over time, let's give it a year, let's work the soil, let's put the fertilizer on it, let's give it a good chance to make it happen. I'm speaking to the person who's ready to walk out. I, I try to be careful, given my position and visibility, to not make my words be God's words. What I mean by that is, I rarely will say to you, and God told me to say this. I just think that can, can, get, can get dangerous. I certainly feel that way sometimes. So I don't want to like do that in my next few words, but all week long, this next piece has been on my heart. And I've put it in my notes and taken it out a dozen times. I think some of you are on the verge of giving up on the good stuff. And you need to hear not just grace and truth today, but you need to let the point of this parable over time sink in. Some of you have been crying and praying and you've been carrying things, and you're about to give up. And and you feel like the guy that walked by the tree for three years looking for fruit. I want to give you the words that the Apostle Paul gave the church at Galatia. Do not grow weary in doing what is right, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. If you're doing the right things, stay with it. It isn't just the right things. It's the right things over time. Always right to give grace. Always right to tell the truth. Jesus does it perfectly. There are multiple times when Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. The woman at the well, he gives her grace. Neither do I condemn you. Then he gives her truth. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Always the right things to do. Over time. My pastoral senses have been stoked. That some of us are thinking about making a turn. In the, in, in the parable, cut the tree down. It's taking up room. Get on with this. You know, may, maybe. But maybe it's the season to give it a little bit more time to give it a little bit more time and to return to those things that are likely to produce growth and fruitfulness. Till the soil. Put some fertilizer there. It may not happen overnight. But let's give it a year. Let's see. I would just suggest that your marriage is probably worth it. I know you're tired. I can't imagine where I would be spiritually if people looked at me when I was a dumb teenage kid. I know if you're a teenager, no disrespect. I'm just talking about me. I was dumb regularly. And if they looked at me and said, you are dumb, Ben. We're done with you. Cut it down. But somewhere, whether it was God, wisdom, foolish, my foolish luck, they decided I was worth it over time. It's okay to wonder if you're being fruitful. It's actually healthy. It's okay to be stoked with whether or not life is going the way you want it to go and to contemplate that and to think about the deeper issues like life is short. Like the people Jesus was talking to. Buildings fall on people. Government kills people. Life's short, Jesus. Help us out. And what he wants you to know is it's is not these uh, often these big drawn-out moments but it's the good stuff over time that's how you build family that's how you build marriage that's how you build churches that's how communities are transformed by the gospel that's how little moms and dads who invest by dropping their kids off into a church are partnered together with other people who aren't even the parents of those kids but together they come together And over time, those little lives are changed by the power of the gospel, grace and truth. It's how small groups come together and get healthy. You didn't try one, it didn't work, fine. Okay, got it. Now what? I went to a mechanic once, I felt like he, you know, rooked me over. doesn't mean I'm not going to work on my car again or get the oil changed again. Because over time, I know it's good for my car. Even if I had a bad experience here, it's good to get the oil changed regularly. Over time, I've learned to love my wife in deeper and better and more godly ways. Sometimes right at the moment, I thought, I think this might be the dead end for us. Grace and truth over time. Let me leave you with the words of Paul from Ephesians chapter 4. He writes these words talking to the church at Ephesus. We've looked at Thessalonica, we've looked at Galatia, now we're looking at Ephesus. He says, speaking the truth in love, grace and truth. We will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Truth and love over time grows us up. It's a big deal to be faithful to God. It's a big deal to stick with it over time. And so if you're on the verge, let me just encourage you one more time, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a marriage thing, if it's a career thing, if it's a church thing, I don't know. But maybe God's saying to you, do the right thing and give it some time and see what I can do with that. Do the right thing, give it some time, see what I can do with it. With that said, why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I want to give you a chance today to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to put your faith and trust in the one who was sent by God gave his life on a cross, was resurrected from the grave. And because of those actions, you and I can have a relationship with the Heavenly Father to put your trust in Jesus and what he's done in securing your relationship with God. I would ask you to do it this way. Take your pen and check next step A right there on your connect card that you filled out earlier with your name and email. And at the end of our service, put the card in there. and We'll communicate with you about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to use your words or borrow mine. And in prayer, say to God, God, I'm a sinner. Wash me clean. Lead my life. I give you all that I am. Be the Lord of my life. Or maybe today you need to take next step B and check, I want to get baptized. So we're going to do that again in a couple weeks. And we'll celebrate with you going under the water, dying to self, and being raised to life in Christ. We'll celebrate that here in this room. You'll find an environment of encouragement and love as you do that, and we'll cheer you on for what God's doing in your life as you go public about your love for God and his love for you. Here's next step C. Maybe you need to join a small group. So you just take the number from the catalog. Over time, an investment in an environment that that does grace and truth will help you. Maybe you need to do it as a couple, right? And just get in a group where grace and truth is happening. And if it didn't work before, okay, okay. You know, it's like the, the oil, like you still got to get your, your oil changed. Right? You still got to do environments where grace and truth are happening. And over time, it'll pay off for you. So Just write the number there. They'll be in touch with you. All right, the next one, if it didn't hit you, don't worry about it. I just wanted to throw this in because I dealt with it very briefly. This is not the point of the day. But if I was talking and this got to you, maybe you think about taking next step D. It says, hey, I'm going to go ahead and start automating my giving so to four that so I can honor God with my money over time. No, no, no guilt here, lots of grace. But if you've just been unfaithful with money, why don't you just automate, like go 1% and just start honoring God with your money beginning today and watch what he does over time. Here's next step E. We've been asking all through this series for people to give six individual services We have 12 weeks or so through the summer, so that's 24 services, two on a Sunday. We've asked people to sign up for just six of them so that some of our volunteers could take a break, recharge, connect with their family, go on vacation, and we don't miss a beat around here as we continually invest in people's lives with grace and truth. And so by checking the box, they'll be in touch with you. We'll fit your schedule, work around your vacation, and you can help us as a church continue to do what God's called us to do. Let's pray about all these things right now. God, I want to thank you for the folks who have invested in my life. That whether you directed them, whether they were wise, or whether I got lucky, they saw that over time their investment can make a difference. Thank you, God, for people who have been faithful and didn't give up. And thank you for a church full of people who are faithful, who make this place happen. They dispense grace and truth regularly. And over time, we see your hand at work. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for calling on people and they say yes. And God, thank you for not leaving it a mystery what it is we can do to grow, that we give ourselves to the good things over time. I pray for, Lord, for those that have grown weary in doing good, that they would not faint, but they would take you at your word and they would believe that in due season they will reap a harvest if they faint not. And I pray, Lord, for those that are declaring right now, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Wash me by your blood. Bring me into relationship with you. We give it all to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God, we pray. Amen and amen.